You're listening to the Weekly Sermon Podcast from Liberty Family Church. For more information about our church, head to the website, libertyfamilychurch.net.au. Proverbs 14 verse 30 says this, A tranquil or healing heart gives life to the flesh, but envy or jealousy makes the bones rot. Envy isn't one of those topics that gets a lot of airplay, is it? When was the last time you went out of your way to listen to a a sermon on envy? When was the last time you even perhaps even heard a sermon on envy? I racked my brains. I couldn't think of one for for me. What about when was the last time you you, um, heard a health professional on on your favourite YouTube channel talking about the dangers of envy? to your your health and your general well-being? Probably not at all. You know, envy's one of those topics. It's one of those topics, if you you look at it uh, in the traditional, it's one of the seven deadly sins. You might have heard of that term before. And it's one of those things that, for whatever reason, we just don't talk about it. We just don't talk about it, at least anywhere near enough. And, you know, it's pretty understandable why it's not talked about, why it's not so popular, because it's a common experience for us, if we're actually honest. It's a common experience for every human being. It's a common sin that all of us, from time to time, really struggle with. But considering it's so dangerous, as the writer of Proverbs so powerfully illustrates, in many ways, envy is like a destructive illness, isn't it? It... It eats away inside of us, little by little, bit by bit, stealing our joy, slowly destroying us from the inside out. You know, we'd be wise to not avoid thinking about it, but actually to reflect on it. Spend some time discerning if there's even the the tiniest little bitter seed of envy that has taken root within our hearts. So this morning, we're going to open God's Word and and discover afresh why envy is so dangerous, why it's such a bitter seed, and then also look at some practical ways that we can intentionally guard our hearts against envy taking root deep within. So how about we pray and invite Holy Spirit to, to move and shape our hearts to be more like Jesus' heart this morning. Yeah, loving God, we thank you so much for your Word. We thank you. Holy Spirit, that you wanted to see us. Your, your, your desire is to see every woman, child, man transformed into the image of Jesus Christ. That's your heart. That's your heart for every single person on this planet. And it always has been. And so, God, this morning, we just say that we want to join you in that. We don't want to be resistant to change. We want to be open to what you might want to do in our lives. And we recognise too, God, just how often we are blind. We are blind to what is actually at play in it deep within, what are actually motivating us or influencing us from time to time. So, God, this morning we pray that you might just open our eyes, open our hearts to better understand and see if there is even the tiniest little hint of envy that's taken root in our hearts, and then we would kill it with your help. We pray this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. First things first, why is envy sinful? Simple. Envy, if you boil it right down, is a form of 
covetousness or coveting, a violation of God's 10th commandment. All the way back in Exodus 20, verse 17, God says, You shall not covet your neighbor's house, you shall not covet your neighbor's wife, or his male servant, or his female servant, or his ox, or his donkey, or anything that's your neighbor's. And sometimes when we read that, we go, well, you know, I don't, not really into my neighbor's donkey or ox or that sort of thing. Don't think that really applies to me. Well, let's kind of put it this way. You shall not covet your neighbor's house, your neighbor's wife, his personal assistant, her paid cleaner, his brand new BMW, his wife's brand new BMW, or anything that belongs to your neighbours. Does that maybe hit home a little bit more? The, the thing with coveting is it's, it's, this, it's this thing of being so consumed with something or someone, yeah? Desperately wanting it, fantasising about having something that you do not possess, especially something beyond belonging to someone else. And that's why God makes this commandment, don't covet. Don't do this. It's not going to go well for you. That's God's heart in any commandment. He doesn't do it because he's a killjoy. He does it because he wants joy to flow through to your life. Yeah? Sometimes we read the don'ts as negatives. They're not negative at all. They're actually the best thing. If we hear and heed his advice, his wisdom for living, life will generally go well for us. Now, you might be thinking, isn't envy just another word for jealousy? Aren't they the same thing? Well, sometimes they are. Scripture uses them interchangeably and other times it doesn't. Um, Michael Hoodman, he's the CEO of Got Questions. Has anyone ever gone to Got Questions before to try and find a helpful answer, considered biblical answer on any given topic? I encourage you, check it out. Don't accept everything as the gospel, but it's a good place to start. He explains the subtle difference between the two. He writes... Envy is a reaction to lacking something that another person possesses. Jealousy is a reaction to the fear or threat of losing something or often someone we possess. Envy is the distress or resentment we feel when others have what we have not. And jealousy is the sense of dread or suspicion we feel when what we have might be taken away. There is such a thing as godly jealousy, see 2 Corinthians 11.2, but the Bible never speaks of envy in a good light. How do we illustrate this? Well, a good example would be if we came home, wives, if you came home and you found your husband chatting with the attractive neighbour next door, checking out, no, no, checking out her new Model um, 3 Tesla that she just got delivered. Lost? Okay. Let's... Keep keep we going. Now, as we see this playing out, we might feel envious of our neighbour because she simply has the new Model 3 Tesla. We might. And very quickly, we might, as we observe our husband jumping in the front passenger seat and whizzing off for a drive with this young thing, we might suddenly feel a sense of jealousy cropping up within, yeah? Does that make sense? We don't have a connection to the car and we might want it, that's envy, but we do have a connection to our husband and we feel jealous. Does that make sense? So envy, that's kind of a, it's teasing it apart. Yeah, there's 
Anyway, but envy goes deeper still. Envy is far more insidious than just an overwhelming desire to have something that someone else has. Thomas Aquinas, he was an influential philosopher and theologian from many, many moons ago. He defines envy as simply this, sorrow for another's good. Sorrow for another's good. In other words, what he's getting at is if envy has taken root in our heart towards someone else, we see them succeeding and happy in life, and instead of feeling joy and happiness for them, we feel miserable. We feel miserable. But not only that, our unchecked envy leads us to not only feel miserable when we see others succeeding, but actually getting to a point where we wish harm would come upon them. And this is why envy is so destructive, such a better seed, bitter seed, not a better seed, a bitter seed. Let me clarify that. Um, We see our neighbour with the new Tesla Model 3. Envy takes root in our hearts. Maybe I want a Tesla one day, who knows. Envy takes root in our hearts. And then what happens in time, we might even have fleeting thoughts, hoping they crash or scratch their car coming back in the driveway. (laughs) Gavin, Gavin Ortland, in his book, Humility, the Joy of Self-Forgetfulness, he reflects on Thomas Aquinas' definition for envy. He writes, just think for a moment about how squarely malicious envy is based on this definition. In fact, just as pride is the opposite of humility, envy can be thought of as the opposite of love. Love says, I'm happy when you're happy and I'm sad when you're sad. Envy says... I'm happy when you're sad, and I'm sad when you're happy. Could anything be more terrible? Could anything be more terrible? Another definition fleshes out envy as being a resentful, dissatisfied longing for another's possessions, positions, fortune, achievements, or success. Friends, not only do we look at someone and and crave whatever it is that they have, but when envy takes root in our hearts, that bitter seed, it can cause us to resent them as a person for the very thing that we want, for their success, for their beauty, for their fame, for their power, you name it, whatever it might be. And as that happens, as Gavin Ortland rightly says, we're doing the very opposite of the thing that God calls us to do, the people God calls us to be. You know, if envy's taken root in our hearts, we ain't walking free as people of love and light. We're actually walking in bondage as people of hatred and darkness. Pretty heavy, but it's true. The Apostle Paul, when he, when he wrote to challenge and encourage the Galatians in Galatians 5, 19 to 21, he wrote these words about the acts of the flesh and the ultimate end if we leave them unchecked. Reading Galatians 5.19, he says, Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Of God. You know, there's no question at all, envy is 
a bitter, bitter seed that robs us of God's best, derails us from keeping in step with the Spirit to ultimately walking in step with another Spirit altogether, the other Spirit that we don't want to walk alongside or partner with, Satan, who all he wants to do is steal, kill and destroy from us and use us as instruments of his to steal, kill and destroy others too. And step by step, moment by moment, if we leave envy untreated, festering in our hearts, we'll be robbed of joy and eventually we'll be destroyed. Whew, this is heavy this morning, isn't it? Think about these examples from Scripture. Cain and Abel in the Old Testament. Now, if you're, if you're with us here today, you're visiting or you're online and, and you're seeking spiritual truth, you're not familiar with this account, have a read of it in Genesis chapter 4 for yourself this week. But here's a very brief rundown. Cain and Abel were, they were brothers. And in a nutshell, God approved of Abel for his worship but didn't approve of Cain's. So what happened? If you look at scripture, Cain envied his brother. He wished harm on him, so much so that in the end, he actually killed his own brother. I mean, that's a tragic example of the dangerous, destructive, bitter seed of envy. What about Joseph in the Old Testament? It's yet another powerful story highlighting just how destructive envy can be. Uh, Stephen in Acts chapter 7 he, he looks back on this Old Testament account in his famous sermon and he explains that it was actually envy that led Joseph's brothers to sell their brothers into slavery. Sell their brother into slavery. Uh, reading Acts 7 9, he says, And the patriarchs, jealous or envious of Joseph, sold him into Egypt, but God was with him. Friends, envy is a bitter, bitter seed. What about. The religious leaders of Jesus' day. What about them? You know, Pilate, he was very smart. He was very, very perceptive. He knew what was going on when the Jews came to him and suggested that maybe we could hand Jesus over to you and you could get this little problem out of the way. He knew what was going on in their hearts. He knew that they were envious, that they were envious of how successful and how loved Jesus was by the people, by the people that should be loving me because I'm a religious leader and who is this riffraff and like that is what was going on. Matthew 27, 18 records Pilate's perceptiveness like this. He says, for he knew that it was what? Out of envy that they had him delivered up. And then in Acts, as Paul is seen to be successful in the spread of the gospel through the early church, what happens? What do we see? The Jews, the first hearers of the word of God's people, they become envious, don't they? They become envious. And they not only blaspheme the gospel in some scenarios, which is bad enough, but they also go out of their way to try and kill the Apostle Paul. You can read those accounts in Acts chapter 13 and, and 17. Now, I'm sure all of this is painting a pretty bleak picture, isn't it? Envy, let's, let's not beat around the bush. Envy is deadly serious. Envy is deadly serious. It's the most destructive, 
bitter of seeds that could take root in our hearts. It's something that will keep us from going deeper in Jesus' way of love. It's something that will rob us of the freedom that he wants us to enjoy. It absolutely will. So what can we do about it? What can we do about it? How can we, as I mentioned at the very start, practically guard ourselves and destroy any bitter seed of envy before it plants its roots and then starts its destruction in our lives? Well, three practices are going to help us in this area, and they are prayer, encouragement, and praise. Prayer, encouragement, and praise. Now, some of you might know about a book that was released a couple of years ago called Gentle and Lowly by Dane Ortland. Has anyone ever heard of that? It was a very popular Christian book. Um, it is a, it's a remarkable work, actually, and I'll let you in on a, a little secret. I'm going to be sharing a, a series on it in the new year, which is going to be encouraging. But, um, well, the, the Dane Ortland who wrote that happens to be the brother of the Gavin Ortland that I quoted earlier. And he's also a Christian author. And so Gavin has first-hand experience when it comes to the trap of becoming envious, becoming envious of others because his brother's book, Gentle and Lowly, has been one of the most popular Christian books of the last however many years. It's gone, sold thousands and thousands of copies. And as many of you might know, that if someone writes a good book in the Christian circles... Generally speaking, that gives them opportunities to go on speaking circuits and do conferences and things. And so all of a sudden, his brother's jet-setting all over the world, spruiking his book, which um, comes with it more and more opportunities and praise. And naturally, you know, think about it, that could have very, very easily led to Gavin, his not-so-successful brother, which is not true because he's, he's achieved a lot for God's glory in his own right, but the not-so-successful brother to become bitter, to become envious of his brother's success. And here's what Gavin says about this and how he personally has been successful in combating envy. He says, By God's grace, I don't think I have particularly struggled with envy over the success of Dane's book, but I wanted to make sure early on that I wouldn't get anywhere near envy because I thought it might be a temptation. So I made a practice... Every time I heard about how God had used Dane's book to pray that God would use it even more. I can pray this sincerely because it's such a fantastic book. Every time I hear about how many copies have been sold, I pray even more will sell. I pray that the book will keep on selling until every person on earth has five copies. And then we can start shipping them into outer space to bless the aliens. <laughs> the aliens need Jesus too, amen? That's a joke, sorry. Seriously, though, prayer is a powerful weapon in our fight against envy. If we're going to combat and if we're going to guard ourselves against envy, we simply must pray. We must pray. Think about it in your context. You know, maybe you're a stay-at-home parent. You're trying to, you're doing the hard yards of trying to keep little ones alive, trying to stop them from killing their siblings, and somehow achieve and kick goals in all the areas that you're responsible for as a parent, discipling children, seeing them grow emotionally, relationally, educationally, having meaningful times of rest as a family, all those things that people say we should be spending our time doing. Then all of a sudden you notice another 
stay-at-home parent who's doing particularly well. At least they look like they're doing particularly well from what they post online. <laughs> Here's a good reminder. Generally speaking, what people post online is not an accurate reflection of what's actually going on in their lives. That's a freebie for you this morning. But you see someone succeeding and then you feel that kind of grip in your heart. You see someone succeeding and you feel it taking a hold on you. You look on and then you start to feel some negative emotions towards them, resenting their success or their togetherness. How can they possibly? How can, how can he look so good when he's like, you know, got 15 kids? Like, how does he do it? Maybe not 15, that's a bit much, but maybe not. Um, so what can you do? What, what do you do when you feel this way? Well, one practical thing we can do is we can, we can stop. We can nip it in the bud. We can recognise it and go, oh, what am I feeling right now? And in that moment, we can pray for them. We can pray for them. Pray God's blessing on them. Thank God for anything possibly that you could that comes to mind that you appreciate about that person and then pray God's blessing on them. As soon as you pray and are actively taking action and asking God to bless them, there's no longer room in your heart, in that moment at least, for envy to rise up and poison you. Yeah? Cursing, in a, in a very real sense, cursing is replaced with blessing and as you continue to walk in this practice, choosing to bless and not curse by praying for them every time you think of them, no question, that's only going to go really well for you as you seek to guard against envy. Be honest. Let's be honest this morning. Let's be honest with ourselves this morning. Who are you tempted to envy? Who are you tempted to envy? Perhaps it's one person. Perhaps if you're a big sinner like me, it's more than one person. Whatever you do, don't give the enemy a foothold to plant this bitter seed in your heart. Refuse to allow it to take root. Instead, choose to be active in praying blessings on that very personal people that you are susceptible to envying. You do this and guaranteed you'll see change. You'll feel it too because the Spirit is doing that more like Jesus' work in your heart. And that's a good thing. And you'll develop a beautiful, tranquil, healing heart that, as that Proverbs verse says, actually gives life to your flesh, Proverbs 14, 30. So that's the first. If we're going to combat and guard against envy, we need to pray. And the second, we need to encourage. Similar to prayer, really, if you think about it. But this one takes the next step as well. It goes a step further to not only praying our blessings in private, but making public those blessings by actually encouraging other people. That's a powerful weapon. Think about it. Maybe you're in the workplace. You're in that season of life where you're in the workplace, you're trying to climb the corporate ladder, there's jobs that come up in your organisation and you apply for the promotion and one of your colleagues applies for it too. You're hanging out till Friday for the call. You get the call, but it's not the call you want. 
it's the call to say we thank, thank you so much for your application. You weren't successful this time. Thank you for all you bring to our organisation. And uh, in the future, if there are any further opportunities, we'll give you a call. Yeah, anyone ever, oh, it sounds like I've had these before. Has anyone ever had one of those calls before? Yep. And then Bob, your colleague, he got the job. And you're disappointed. You feel hurt. And then you start to feel more than a little envious. But before you start wallowing in self-pity and planning Bob's speedy demise, you stop yourself. You take a breath and you choose to pray. And maybe you pray something like this. God, I'm, I'm so disappointed that I didn't get the job. It really hurts. I wanted it so bad. But I know that Bob really deserves the promotion. He's a good guy. He's hardworking. He's a great team player. I admire his work ethic. Lord, would you bless Bob abundantly in this new role and help me to have a heart that can genuinely bless him too. Rid my heart right now of any seeds of bitterness or envy, Holy Spirit. Help me to be completely satisfied in you, not what I have and not what I do. Amen. You know, that's a powerful prayer that we could pray. And the next step is powerful too because that's just the private blessings. But when we publicise those blessings, that can be even more powerful too. What often happens, I remember from days working in Anglicare, the, there's an announcement made, so-and-so got the job. And then often there's a morning tea or an afternoon tea to kind of celebrate. And you've got a choice. If, you, if that's you in the office, you've got a choice. Am I going to sulk? Am I going to plot Bob's demise? Am I going to offer Bob false congratulations? Oh, mate, I am so pleased for you. From a heart that is hard and envious, all the while trying to get in touch with your brother's uncle's cousin's friends who's got a mafia, mate. Or, after praying that prayer I prayed before, are you going to choose Jesus' way and bless Bob? So with Holy Spirit's help, you choose the latter. You walk up to Bob, you look him in the eye, you shake his hand, you congratulate and you honour him and you say, what you said in private and you now make it public and make sure there's others around to hear it as well. Bob, you're a great guy. Congratulations on the new gig. You deserve this. You are going to do so well. I love your work ethic. You are a real asset to our organisation. All the best with the new role. I'll be right behind you. Doing this is incredibly powerful. Well, you know, because you've moved beyond the private blessing to a place of public blessing. And if you think about this, this is, I mean, it's twofold in a sense, but if you're a follower of Jesus, what are we concerned about? We're concerned about honouring God, and one of the things in a workplace is we're concerned about modelling Christ within our workplace, especially in those situations when it would easy to be to model anything but Christ in our workplace, such as that. And so you want to be a faithful witness to Jesus. So... Even in publicising it, you've kind of safeguarded against going back on what you've said because other people heard it or, you know, Bob recognised and thanked you for your genuine um, congratulations and that sort of thing. And going back on that, that's even an extra level of safeguard against going back on something that you've said. You know, sin thrives in darkness, doesn't it? Sin thrives in darkness, but where does it die? 
in the light. In the light. And similarly, praise is powerful when done in secret through prayer. That's so powerful. If you, if you never pray, I encourage you. Go to God this afternoon, sit with him, talk with him, and just thank him for something. I guarantee that will be a powerful experience for you. But praise is also transformative and powerful, not just for us, but for others when it's offered publicly. Doing this, no question, was going to safeguard our hearts against the bitter seed of envy. All right, so to recap, if we're going to combat and guard ourselves against envy, we need to pray, encourage, and here's the final point. We need to praise. There's great power in praise. One of the most powerful things we can do in the very moment we're tempted to be envious of others is to stop and praise God. Sounds weird, doesn't it? Why would I do that in that very moment? Let me tell you, this strategy works powerfully. And some of the men who went through the Valiant Man course with us recently, Dr. Alan Meyer, shares about this as a strategy in terms of killing lust or, or keeping our hearts pure in the moment. But this same principle applies to any given temptation we might face in life. Alan Meyer um, in Valiant Man, he explains that if, if men want to actually beat temptation and not give in to looking lustfully at a woman, not only need to bounce their eyes, bounce, like this, immediately look away from the temptation, but they also need to replace the thought that they were going to have with something else. Does that make sense? So not only are we to flee from temptation and look away, we need to replace what was going to think up here with another thought altogether. And um, Alan says from personal experience that he's found praising God to be a powerful, far better thought to use when faced with temptation. This can be very specific or it can be very general in nature. You could see an attractive woman or, or man, for example. You could choose to, to bounce your eyes and then think on God and go, God, I thank you for your good creation. Your world is full of many, many beautiful things. But I am a man. I'm a person of integrity. I'm not going to covet my neighbor's wife. I got my own and I'm going to love and cherish her. Thank you for my beautiful wife. What a blessing she is. Thank you, Lord. I praise you. I worship you, the creator of the heavens and the earth. That is powerful. Because immediately, what happened? We've, we've looked away from temptation. We've fled from temptation. And then we've neutralized that temptation by replacing our thought that no doubt will go around that particular stimulus that we've seen on praising God. And we've replaced that thought with another or in facing a moment of temptation towards envy. You could praise God for literally anything, anything good. God, I praise you for the mountains. The mountains out here in the valley are so beautiful. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the works of his hands. I see this everywhere I look in Hillsville. You're so good, God. I honor you. I want to be satisfied in you. I fix my eyes on you, God. Amen. I'm sure you can... You can gauge why this is such an effective strategy. You've been heading one way, you know, and then Alamiah calls them off-ramps. You've built yourself an off-ramp, a way of fleeing temptation quickly. And 
the more and more we take that off-ramp, the easier and easier it becomes to not get caught on a familiar path. You know, you were faced with a temptation to be envious, but you instead look to God and praise him, leaving no opportunity for envy to take root or rise up within your heart. Friends, as Proverbs 14.30 says, a tranquil or healing heart gives life to the flesh, but envy or jealousy makes the bones rot. It really does. Let me ask you today. Are you struggling with the effects of envy in your life? Are you longing to experience healing that gives life to your flesh, as this proverb speaks of? Can I encourage you? Don't delay. Don't wait for another day to deal with that bitter seed. Don't wait until tomorrow. Humble yourself before the Lord today and I'm, we're just going to have a time maybe of um, prayer. Maybe we can have some music in the background. We're just going to have some prayer for healing, some prayer for breakthrough. So I just encourage you, let's just wait on the Lord together and then I'd love to invite anyone who might like to to come forward for prayer because, I, I don't know, if I was sitting down there, I could certainly come forward for prayer and maybe, you, maybe that's what Jesus is calling you to do today, to be bold to stand and make a declaration of today's the day, God. I'm sick of this. I'm going to deal with it. And I want to walk free with you from this day forward. So let's, um, let's pray and uh, let's wait on the Lord together. And